Hey again, travel bosses. I'm excited to bring you this week's sponsor, TripStreak, the smarter travel search. What I love about TripStreak is the ability to set your personal preferences to either have or avoid red-eye flights or have things like completely lie-flat seats. So the next time you need to book a flight, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny Esty. Hey everyone, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 162 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here in Barcelona with Victoria Justice. <laughs> hey everyone, my name is actually Victoria Juskevica, but Johnny likes to call me Victoria Justice. It sounds more superhero-ish. <laughs> yeah, it does. I like it. So let's take it all, all the way back. How did we first meet? So the first time I met Johnny was at one of the coffee shops in Chiang Mai. Um, I think you were talking about... Um, no, you were not actually talking. There was another person speaking about a specific t- subject. I think it was uh, marketing. And uh, you were just one of the organizers of the event. And um, that's how we met. Yeah, so I think it was the Nomad Coffee Club. It's something we do every Friday in Chiang Mai. And uh, I normally don't speak at them. I just... The whole point of it is just to get people in Chiang Mai to meet each other and whoever has something to a skill to share, they're welcome to come and give a talk. So it's probably one of those events. Yeah, it was. Uh, so how long were you actually in Chiang Mai for? So I was living in Chiang Mai for one and a half years in total. That's crazy that I hardly saw you there at all. Yeah, I know. I was hiding all the time. <laughs> so where did you normally hang out in Chiang Mai? Um, the first half of the year, I was working with a team of um, Canadian developers. So I would say I was mostly in the house. We were renting a house and kind of working there almost 24-7. And then um, I got my own place a little bit outside of the city. So that's why I wasn't like in the digital nomad scene that much. Okay, so you weren't in the heart of Neiman yeah, like I the was rest of us. Of That's kind of cool that you saw a different part of Chiang Mai then. Yeah. And how long have you been in Barcelona now? So I've been in Barcelona for a month now. And what are your initial thoughts of Barcelona versus Chiang Mai? So the first thought that I had is I like completely fell in love with the city because of the architecture. Like I'm originally from Europe, so I love old buildings. I love history. I love walking down, you know, the streets and looking at amazing architecture. And that's one of the main things that I miss when I was in Asia. Well, so, even just like on my terrace right now, there's yeah. like these two dome buildings. Yeah. That at first I thought it was some, you know, fancy museum or something. But I think it was just part of someone's house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like all the houses, they look like a museum of art or something. And um, this is the main difference. And uh, on the opposite side, I miss food in Chiang Mai. Like here in Barcelona, um, the only two things that you mostly eat are tapas and uh, paellas, which is not, uh, you know, it's not very diverse as uh, the Asian cuisine. So for you guys who haven't had it before, a paella is like a rice dish that is cooked with traditionally seafood but it turns out that paella in barcelona actually sucks and it's yeah (laughs) and it's because first um i think paella is like a southern spain thing so Mm -hmm. i I heard it is very good in other places like in valencia uh where they where i think it's originated from but in barcelona pretty much 90 percent of the restaurants you walk by that have a pre-printed paella sign it's that sign is given to them for free to advertise these frozen paellas that they just heat up. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. No wonder they taste so bad. Okay, definitely know that. Yeah, so that's tip number one. If you guys are in Barcelona and you see the same sign in front of the same restaurants, uh, either for paella, pizza, or pasta, or you just wonder how does this restaurant have this many like menu options when there's just one person working there, mm. it's because it's frozen. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I like making food at home or going out to non-Spanish restaurants. 
you know, I've actually heard that a lot from people who, who live here is that they end up eating, they like food in Barcelona, but not necessarily Barcelona food, like yeah. not Spanish food and not Catalonian food, which is actually the region we're in. They like the international food, mm-hmm. whether it be, I guess, Thai food or Indian food or something else. Yeah, that's why I like. I like that you can find basically any type of food here. Have you actually tried Thai food? Since yes, it- I have. But like, I went there yesterday. <laughs> I went to a Thai place. And how was that? It was um, again not as good as in Chiang Mai. And well, how much did you pay for it? I paid ten euros for um, fried rice with shrimp. Okay, let's break that yeah. down into baht. That's that's what, 350. No, no, 400 baht. Yeah, that's like about that. For a cow pad uh, gong, which is how much in Chiang Mai? I think in Chiang Mai was just a few dollars. I th- yeah, I like think it would be maybe like 60, 70 baht, which is $2. Yeah. So you literally paid five times the price and it wasn't as good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, that I think for food wise, hands down, Chiang Mai just beats pretty much everyone in the world. For, for value, the cost of it, and also just like it just tastes good, it's just like good flavor. Yeah, exactly, and also like all the fruits in Chiang Mai. Like at any point of the year, you have a season of something, and here, like I tasted mangoes and strawberries, and they're kind of bitter. I mean, not bitter, but they're not as juicy and sweet as they are in Chiang Mai. Well, you know, it's actually so fruit. I I think if we try to eat like tropical fruit, like mangoes, or try to find like lychees. Or papaya, it's going to be terrible here. It's going to be expensive mm-hmm. and it, it won't be sweet because they have to import it in. But I think they have fruits here that we can't get in Chiang Mai. Like, for example, like peaches and nectarines and apricots. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's actually way better here and cheaper than in Chiang Mai. Yes, I agree on that. And actually, strawberries. I'm actually surprised you got, maybe you got a bad batch of strawberries. That, that's your strawberry water, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, strawberries have been so cheap that I've been just buying like kilos of it every time we go to the store because you can get two pounds of it, which is a kilo for about two euros. So like a dollar a pound. And there's no way you can get that in Chiang Mai. Well, that is true. And, um, yeah, strawberries are not expensive here, but I don't know. For me, they're still a bit not as ripe as you know from my grandma's garden. <laughs> Maybe I was just spoiled when I was a kid. <laughs> I think you were definitely spoiled, and I think it's the beginning of strawberry season right now, so mm. it's it can kind of fluctuate. But the one, I guess, it's technically a fruit, but the one kind of thing that is the best produce I've ever had in my life are cherry tomatoes here in Barcelona. Really? Have you had it? Yeah, I have. They, they are, I mean, I don't know if I'm just used to crappy tomatoes in the US where they just, they taste watery. Or even in Chiang Mai, I don't think they were that good. But here for a, one year for a basket, they were the best thing I ever had in my life. And I think I'm very spoiled because like my dad, he works in import export business and he imports fruits from Spain to Latvia. So <laughs> I've always had that. So you've always had good stuff. Yeah. So how, how's the, the food in Latvia? Uh, the food in Latvia is uh, kind of similar to all the, you know, foods that you have in SSSR because it was a part of SSSR. So it's mostly potatoes, beans, um, different types of cutlets, soups. Yeah, mostly that. So I noticed that you don't pronounce or say the U. You don't say like USSR. You just say SSSR. Yeah. It's- oh, that's because in Russian you say SSSR. So three S's and an R. Yeah. What does it mean? Uh, it's like... Oh, how do you say it in... in, in... Soyuz Sovietskich Respublik. Socialistikich Sovietskich Respublik. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> it's like... Because um... in, in American, it would be USSR, what? United Soviet Social Republic? I don't know. Yeah, that's exactly that. Is that what it is? Yeah, okay. but it's in Russian. <laughs> that's funny that it's SSSR. Yeah. Okay. So food in Spain, I think... It's unfair to say like in Spain in total because Barcelona is very different. Mm-hmm. So I would I would say for me personally in Barcelona I like that you can get a variety of food like kebabs or mm-hmm. other eth- like ethnicities food, but the actual Spanish food is very disappointing. Yes, I agree with that. So if you're if you love food, if you love local food, then 
Asia is the place to go. But again, if you come to Barcelona, you can always find food from from a different culture. However, the wine is <laughs> a million times better here than in Thailand. Oh yeah, like in Thailand, you barely find good wine, and if you find it, it costs like a fortune. Yeah, I re- so I don't know why I started getting into wine when I was in Chiang Mai. <laughs> I think it was because you always want what you can't have or what's you know difficult to acquire or obtain. So when I was there, I started like, you know, learning more about wine and trying to find good wine. And the only options are the bottle that you get at Seven Eleven, which mm-hmm. is Montclair, and that's maybe like six dollars a bottle. But it's terrible. It's, it's like I don't even think it's actually made from grapes. It says um, fruit wine on the back, mm-hmm. so it's like a mixture of different fermented fruits. Yeah. And then the the next level up is a thousand baht for a bottle, which is close to thirty dollars. Yeah. And for that equivalent, for a thirty dollar bottle here, it's what three four euro for a, a supermarket. Yes, exactly. It's insane. Well, that's how it is. That's why if you're you know a wine lover, Chingwei is not the best place to go, probably. Yeah. Or if you stack like a separate luggage with wines, maybe then it will work. Yeah, I definitely don't try <laughs> to stack a whole luggage with wine. But definitely, I would say yeah, bring two bottles, right? Because that's yeah. what you can bring in. And there's no reason not to. Yeah, that's what I was doing when I was flying from Europe back uh, to Chiang Mai. I would always like bring a couple of bottles to kind of share with friends because it's so much better. So the other things that are are better here would be cheese. Yeah, it's expensive and hard to get in Chiang Mai. And ironically, in I didn't care about cheese when I lived in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and when I was in Thailand, especially oh. when I was on like these little islands where <laughs> you couldn't get anything. People would talk about it all the time cheese and chocolate. And it was hard to find good stuff. And now that I'm here, it's so abundant. Yeah, I guess the people like I also noticed that that in Chiang Mai, people mostly talk about things they miss from home or from you know places they visited, and cheese was one of them. And here we're so close to France, so you can get basically anything. Yeah, you know, and you actually brought up a really good point: is when we are living somewhere else, we're always reminiscing about the things we miss. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's you know a mindset thing. We should focus on things that we that that are better and that we have in the place we go to. Yeah, I mean, it really is like the grass is always greener on the other side. <laughs> yeah, oh, wise words when you start to understand when you actually experience it. You know. Yeah, but you know, this is kind of part of traveling, and I think this is what I like about our lifestyle is we get a new perspective on, on things all the time. Yeah, definitely. I've noticed that I started appreciating home more when I traveled because you get used to so many things and uh, the comfort and then you go to places like, you know, Chiang Mai or Laos and uh, things are completely different there and you start to appreciate how easy and comfortable things were home. So every time you go and visit, you're like, oh, I miss that and I'm happy that I can experience it right now. But you still want to go somewhere else and try something new. So missing the old USSR. Um, well, <laughs> my grandparents do miss it, but I was born when it was just collapsing, so I don't have nothing to miss there. <laughs> so what got you, like, what what made you start traveling in the first place? So, um, I always loved traveling when I was um, a teenager. My parents didn't travel that much, I don't know why, but um, I always had this idea of a dream job to be able to work and travel whenever you want. And um, until my second year of university, I thought that it's not possible. Like I haven't, you know, encountered anyone who did that. So for me, it was like a, you know, a pipe dream or something. And um, then uh, I applied for the Sovereign Man um, business camp in Lithuania. I went there and I saw people that actually do it. You know, people that travel around the world that have, uh, online businesses, and uh, I saw that it's actually possible. And there, I met a bunch of people who were the, you know, the first, one of the first of the nomads, the digital nomads, and they advised me to go to Chiang Mai as a good place to start. Oh, that's cool. So th- this program, the Sovereign Man, w- does that have anything to do with Seven Black? Yes, he's the founder, and he goes there every every summer. He um, chooses uh, like from 50 to 60 people uh, that take part in the program. And he actually, it's completely free. So you need to pay only for the ticket there. That's really cool. And this is in Latvia? It's in Lithuania. I mean, sorry, Lithuania? Yeah, but it's so close. I mean, it's like four hour bus drive. That's so random. Why Why do you think he does it there? 
Um, I don't know the whole story, but I think he was originally invited to participate in one of the other like business type camps there, and he just you know fell in love with the whole uh, um, that facility and uh, just started doing it there because also the cost of uh, you know kind of facilitating it there is very low, and I guess it's Europe, so all the people from Europe can go there. But yeah, it's bit harder from you know the folks from the states and you know asia and latin america okay well that's really cool and we actually we've actually had simon black on the podcast do you know that yeah i know that i listened to it <laughs> oh cool what you think of the episode what? what what did you think of the episode i loved it i mean there were a few points that i didn't know about simon and i always love listening to him so well very cool yeah i've, I've checked out a couple of his articles on his blog about the six was it the five flags theory where you have your bank account in one country your business in one country your passport in one country your residence in one country and and so on uh if you guys are interested in that episode we'll have a link to it in the show notes but it is on the other podcast um my other podcast invest like a boss and it's episode 19 so what got you even interested in all this in the first place um, I would say my curiosity. I think that was the main thing because, uh, like for me, uh, sitting in one place is not the way to uh, develop yourself. I mean, you can do that. I mean, monks do that. They go to you know a cave and sit there for decades. Uh, but I like to experience the world and grow in in other ways. And um, I was very curious about other cultures, and um, I enjoy freedom. So freedom of movement is something that I'm very passionate about and I'm very happy, I guess, lucky in this case that I've been born in a country that gives me a passport where I can go anywhere. So you're, you're lucky that you were born when you were and not while the SSSSR was happening. Yeah, yeah, because there you weren't able to travel much. I mean, only within the USSR. But yeah, now that Latvia is in Europe. And that's, that's perfect, right? Yeah, exactly. And... I think we never actually hear about Latvia. Why is that? It's such a small country. Like, honestly, if I would be from somewhere else, especially not from Europe, I don't think I would know that Latvia exists. I mean, I was just talking to uh, a Spanish uh, person today, and uh, he asked me, like, where are you from? And I said, from Latvia. And he didn't know, even though, like, we're in Europe. And I thought that you know, people know the countries that are in you, but apparently not. And yeah, it's so tiny and... Uh, it's the, the history of it is not well known. Uh, and usually when people think about Latvia, they kind of put together the three Baltic countries, like Lithuania, Estonia. Uh, in Estonia, I would say it's one of the, yeah, it's the well-known um, country from the Baltic states because of the e-residency and, you know, Skype. So it's uh, way technologically advanced than Latvia. And, and unfortunately, at this point, Latvia doesn't have much... Um, input that it can give to the world i mean it's a beautiful country it's a beautiful place and i would advise people to visit it at least once but in terms of technology or education um yeah no technology no education no no, we do have that (laughs) but i mean we're not the trendsetters i would say the estonia is like really good at that okay that definitely makes sense and i think the e-residency in Estonia was such a good marketing I almost I almost want to call it a gimmick because I looked more into it and if you guys aren't unfamiliar with it basically Estonia is now allowing pretty much anybody to get an e-residency to their country so you can become a electronic citizen of Estonia which sounds so cool because it sounds like you get some kind of passport it sounds like yeah. you, you can kind of be part of the EU but when you really look into it you pretty much get nothing <laughs> And I think the biggest, the only real benefit is if you would like to pay taxes in Estonia for whatever reason, mm-hmm. they're allowing you to pay taxes in Estonia. And I think that is beneficial if you're from another country where you have to pay taxes somewhere, but not necessarily in your, in your home country. Mm-hmm. So I think for them, it might work because it's a lower tax bracket. But for Americans, I, I'm pretty sure it's like literally useless because we would still have to pay taxes in America. Yeah, yeah, it didn't look that much into that because for me it's pointless. Uh, but that's what I've heard is basically if you want to open a company and pay, you know, less percentage of taxes as compared to your home country, then um, Estonia is a place to go. 
Yeah, and it, because of that, because the, the concept of it, it's really put Estonia on the map. Yeah. I mean, I think most people didn't even realize that Skype was originally made in Estonia. But the e-residency, like, I think at least all nomads have heard about it, at least in passing. Yeah. And now that's like, people are starting to think like, oh, maybe I'll move to Estonia. Yeah, exactly. Like, I remember the first time I heard that Skype was made by, you know, an Estonian startup. I was like, what? You know, we make things here? <laughs> but right now, actually, there's uh, quite a decent startup scene in Estonia and Lithuania. A lot of them are being uh, bought by larger companies. And uh, again, it's something that Latvia is still working on. Well, it, it's coming. <laughs> actually, I think I met two brothers from, I think it was Latvia, that have a watch company that got like a ton of funding on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And I met them in Koh Lanta, Thailand. And now my Facebook news feed is just full of their adverts. How like these, you know, I'm, it was one of the, definitely one of those two countries, but I, I, and I think it was, I think it was Latvia. I'll, I'll have to look it up. But so there are definitely people in that area who are young entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who are like really trying to kill it in the online marketing scene. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's um, another digital nomad that was in Chiang Mai. His name is Emils and he's uh, the founder of the iPhone photography school. So he's really kicking it there. And he's from Latvia. I mean, for me, he's the coolest Latvian that I've ever met. <laughs> Apart from myself, of course. <laughs> Victoria Justice. <laughs> I like it. So, so how did you actually decide to move to Chiang Mai? You, you heard about it at this, uh, at this workshop. They give you the idea. Was it easy for you just to pack up your stuff and go, or what? Like, what, what was your your mindset behind it? Um, I think it was easier than I originally thought. So. Um, after I went to the camp, I had a full year to kind of finish my university. And then I started working for a company in Latvia. And uh, I hated it. I just, uh, yeah, I was very depressed in like a terrible place. And I started reaching out to those um, people that I met at the business camp. And uh, um, they all advised me to go to Chimai because it's warm, it's cheap. There are a lot of, you know, like-minded people there. So you will definitely figure something out. What did you hate about the corporate world? Um, I don't know if that applies to all of the corporate world or just the company that I was working at, but I didn't really like the job that I was doing. It was mostly just, you know, kind of playing with numbers in Excel, which is something that I like when it's, uh, you know, a small fraction of the job that I do. But when it's, you know, everything I do every day, seven, like five days a week, then it's just, um, yeah, it was very annoying. I think that's kind of like the assembly line mentality of corporate businesses where there's one person that just puts the mustard on the hamburger bun mm-hmm. you know, and that's all they do the whole day. I know. And I didn't like that. Again, I like, I like uh, taking a task, kind of perfecting it, optimizing it, and then going to the next one and doing the same thing. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think like, for example, the best car companies in the world are like Rolls Royce where people actually have like a personal relationship with each car they build from start to finish. And you don't necessarily have to hand build a whole car because you know, and you don't have to necessarily have one employee do the whole business. But I think if they feel like they're part of the whole process and they can, they can feel like they're actually contributing something. I think that's when not only your, your employees are happier, but also the end product is a better product because if you just have one person, you know, let's say, you know, put in the cup holder on the, in the car and that's all they do every day. And the rest of the car is a piece of crap or even like the, the part that the cup holder interacts with, like it hits the, the, um, armrest. They're like, I don't care. That's not my job. Mm -hmm. You just told me to (laughs) to put in the the cup holder. Yeah. And uh, another thing that I noticed there is, um, they didn't really were, they weren't open to innovation so they at that point when i was in the company they hired a bunch of uh um you know college graduates and uh we had like you know tons of ideas because we had fresh eyes on the whole process of how things were going and uh they weren't really open to that they just wanted to stick to how things were even though they were not producing the results they wanted but you know that was something that they know and taking something new was too risky. So, you know, actually, from a business owner's point of view, whenever I would hire somebody, 
I would actually have to battle with this where I know it's value, really valuable to get a fresh perspective, but at the same time, I want it done the way I know it works. Mm-hmm. So the compromise that I would always do is I would tell whoever I'm hiring and I'll say, um, here is the, our SOP, the standard operating procedure. Mm-hmm. And for the first month, please follow this exactly. But at the end of the month, I would really like to hear your thoughts on how we can prove it. Yeah, that's a very good idea. I think that's how it should be done. I mean, you you look at the process with your fresh eyes. It's easier for a person to see if there's any other way how to optimize the, the whole process. And if it's not, then great. <laughs> if there is, then I mean, yeah, you should think, be open to it. Yeah, also, but like from the, the business owner's point of view, the reason why I didn't want them telling me things like from day one is because they don't understand the whole process yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, so it's almost kind of annoying in the beginning if they're like saying, oh, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And I'm like, like, just fucking do it. And yeah. then like, then you'll see why we're doing it. But I think the mistake most people make is even after someone like masters that job, mm-hmm. they learn it. And then they're like, well, and then they have all these ideas on how to improve it or make it more efficient, make it better. Then the owner doesn't want to hear it because the job's getting done. Yeah. And I said, I think it's kind of a delicate balance between the two. Yes, I definitely agree with that. So you had a year to prepare, went to Chiang Mai, then what? Yeah, so uh, I quit the job. Uh, within a month, I quit the job, got a ticket, and just left to Chiang Mai. And uh, it's kind of a weird story to tell because at that point, I didn't have anything up planned. Like, I didn't have a job. Even though I had a few contacts in Chiang Mai, I didn't... Um, like, there was no way I could know that I would have something to figure out there. Like, I always thought that, okay, my backup plan can be spending a few months in Chiang Mai, trying it, and if it doesn't work, then I just go home. And, um, yeah, so the first week I stayed with a friend in Bangkok, and then uh, I just randomly decided to go to Chiang Mai. Um, and through couch surfing, I found a place to stay and also my first job. Oh, that's random. Yeah, that was very random. <laughs> so you were originally just going to crash there for a few days? Yeah. And- they offered to rent you the room or how did that work? Uh, yeah, so I planned to stay there for a few days. And when I arrived, um, I found out that they're renting a house and currently they have a room to stay. And uh, they asked about me, uh, what are my skills? Like, what is my background? What am I planning to do here? And I told them all that and uh, we figured out that it will make sense for me to you know, work with them and uh, to live with them because they have this option. Like, it doesn't matter for them if I stay there or if I don't. They have the room available. And that's how we did it for the first half a year. That's really cool. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. And I think that's a a good tip for a lot of people is you don't always have to have everything figured out, but it it's really important to go out and just meet people. Yeah. Because that is where most of the good jobs are are given out is before it goes online anywhere. It's always through word of mouth. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, before trying couchsurfing, you know, that day, I haven't ever, you know, looked in there. Like, I didn't have an account. I didn't have anything for me. It was just all new. And I thought, okay, if I'm doing this, why not? <laughs> yeah, I like it. So really stepping out of your, your boundaries. Yeah. Very cool. So after the first six months in Chiang Mai, uh, then what? So then I quit the job with um, my Canadian colleagues and uh, I had... Another offer from another nomad that I met from uh, through couch surfing. Again? Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was Brian Kwong, and I was working with him on his language learning startup slash company. Yeah, very cool. And yeah, so Brian's super cool guy. He, how many languages does he know now? I think it's, um, yeah, it depends on, on the level, but he knows really good uh, Mandarin, Japanese, English, and also German. Uh, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Okay, nice. Uh, so you worked with, with him for a while, and then what? Yeah, and then... So it was... I quit working for Brian right um, after I left Chiang Mai. And then I was kind of uh, unemployed for a few months, uh, trying to put my mind together and understand where I want to go with everything. And um, then I decided to reach out to a few people that I met in Chiang Mai because I was looking for a job. And... Um, yeah, that's how I got my next couple of gigs. And that's, uh, again, a good learning experience that, as you said, uh, 
contacts are very important because you never know how you or that person can help each other on the way. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And that's why I'm such a big fan of in-person meetups. Because even though there are a lot of ways to meet people online, either through Facebook groups or you know on Reddit or in different forums, those virtual friendships are not as strong as an in-person one because it's really hard to vouch for someone or offer them a job if you only know them online versus if you know someone in person, you know their character, you know they're not a psychopath. And yeah. it's, it's just so different, right? Yeah, and I should say that... Like when you mean in person meetings, it doesn't it doesn't mean that you need to talk with a person for like half an hour and give a good impression or something. Like uh, one of the jobs w- uh, that I got was with um, Joe from Tree Tribe. I spoke with him I think for five minutes after his uh, presentation at the Nomad Summit in Chiang Mai, and uh, yeah, and he remembered me because you know you kind of get a sense of a personality pretty quickly. And um, he remembered that, you know, he kind of felt good about speaking and getting to know me. And uh, it was super easy for me to contact him online afterwards, even though we met in person only once. Yeah, that's super cool. Uh, If you guys want to come to the next Nomad Summit, it's going to be mid-January 2018. And it's a good chance to not only meet other nomads, but we try to keep it really informal. So you have a chance to even just hang out with the speakers. Yeah, I highly recommend that. I made made a number of good contacts there. So do it. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, you know, why should I come all the way to Chiang Mai or pay for a ticket to go to the actual event when you guys put the videos for free online anyways? But the videos is really only like 25% of it. It, Like the rest of it really is meeting people in person, you know, doing all the... I mean, I don't say networking because it almost kind of sounds cheesy where you like Mm -hmm. handing out business cards. Like nobody's handing out business cards (laughs) at the Nomad Summit. It is like really you're just like making friends, you're making travel buddies and you keep in touch on Facebook. And all of a sudden later on down the road, somebody has, um, they need to hire someone and they just remember like, Oh yeah. Like who's that, that Victoria justice girl? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I would say that videos are very helpful for, uh, just kind of watching them again and, you know, recollecting on a few points that were given by the speakers um, so I use them for that, but going to the live event is definitely way more beneficial in terms of, uh, meeting new people and because again, you never know what can happen down the line. Yeah, definitely. And that's why not only do we have the Nomad Summit every year, but that's why we have those weekly Friday meetups, even though they're, you know, more informal, the quality talks are usually a bit lower just because it's kind of random people. That a lot of times they don't really like rehearsing or anything. There's no usually no projector or anything. It's just someone giving a quick talk. But it's a good way to meet people in person. How 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 like how's the nomad scene been here in Barcelona? Like so far, the I met just a few nomads. Uh, of course, you and uh, there's a number of people that work remotely. I've noticed, but the scene is different than in Chiang Mai. It's not as uh, friendly. At least that's the impression that I got. Um, remote workers are more, um, kind of, um, they're not that open to other people. So if I go to a co-working space, it has a feel of an office more than, uh, you know, a co-working space of, of traveling people. Uh, so yeah, I would say that for, from everywhere that I've been to, Chiang Mai is definitely a place of connecting and getting new contacts. It's very easy. People are warm and friendly and they kind of understand where you're coming from because you share this, you know, this mindset, this idea, this like character. Yeah, I, I, I could definitely see that. Like for instance, yesterday I was at a co-working space and I got there a bit early. So I was just kind of walking around and normally inching my, if like a new random person comes into the space, you like smile at them. You might say hi. You might be like, oh, you know, where are you from? What are you working on? And here it's kind of like they look at you like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> and I think it's I think it's because people have people almost kind of, like when someone just lives in a place, whether they're originally from Barcelona or they're an expat just living here, they have their group of friends already. They already have their routine. They have this this nine to five job, even if they're working remotely. Uh, and you are almost kind of like an intruder coming into their space, into their into their their to their life. Versus in Chiang Mai, it's kind of like you are at college during your first week 
and a new person walks into your dorm. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Like, I definitely relate to that feeling. <laughs> yeah, like in Chiang Mai, you can meet people in cafes and bars, you know, even on the street. Uh, it's so much easier, but you're right. Like when you're uh, in another country, I guess, in, especially in Europe, where people are uh, less open than in Asia. I mean, not in Asia, but in the digital nomad scene. Um, yeah, it's a bit harder to make friends. But but have you met some good friends since you've been on here? Yeah, I again, I met friends through other friends. So that's why networking is good as well, because you get constantly connected to other cool people. And uh, it's so much easier to build like a network of an amazing, you know, entrepreneurs and uh, just human beings when you know other people like uh, like that, that share your mindset and that share your vision. And um, yeah, I've met a number of people, uh, of friends of friends, as well as uh, friends from Chiang Mai. Yeah, I, I think the network of people that you, you've you met already is definitely your best first, like way to meet new people. And I think whenever I go to another country, it's almost kind of weird that the people I have on the podcast are usually someone I met in Chiang Mai. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the reasons why I do that is because I want I want their perspective on comparing the two places. Uh, but also like it's just more comfortable, you know, hanging out with a friend that you've already met from somewhere else before than like a new random person um that like hasn't been to the same places that you've been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, de- it definitely has this. You can feel the connection of sharing the same experience, even if you were in Chiang Mai at different times. You still know that you kind of went for that. I don't know, like a baptizing phase or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, <weird. laughs> so uh, yesterday was probably the first time I met a ton of nomads. Actually, okay. So, corrections. The first time was I went on this retreat. Uh, which was a co-workation, like co-working vacation thing. And they rented this monastery about a few hours away from Barcelona. And that was really cool because we got to live in this old 12th century monastery. And I went because my buddy Sam and Leanne uh, was, was going to be there. And I figured, you know, they're going to go. It'd be fun to hang out. It turns out, you know, it was okay. Like it was, you know, it was decently fun. Um, but it was cool just hanging out with them and then meeting a couple other entrepreneurs. And then besides that, the only time I really met that many other nomads was yesterday when I gave a talk at uh, Transforma Coworking Space, where they hosted an event led by Codino, which I think stands for Co. I don't know, Coworking Nomads in I don't know, Barcelona, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a pretty like big turnout. I think there's like forty something people wow. who came and. It was really interesting, though, talking to them or even just the questions they would ask because it was very different than the normal kind of nomad questions that, that I'm, I'm used to. Huh. Now I'm curious. Like, what what was the feeling that you got from those people? I would say more than half of them were just working a normal job and they were just kind of curious about, about what it would be like to be location dependent. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the questions were kind of just like... You know, what's your day like? <laughs> uh huh. I see. That, that's probably because, like, if you go to, I know a lot of people are, I guess, from Barcelona and maybe, or maybe from Europe and they just kind of move, moved countries to um, have another uh, full time job. But in Chiang Mai, you have people that already took the leap into the digital nomad world. So they actually make that, made that first step. So it's kind of, you know, a filtering there. So you know that people, you know, share much more with you because of that initial step. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think especially before, it, like before, you know, now it's a, almost a little bit easier because so many people talk about it, so many blogs about it, so many guides about it. But even like three years ago, two or three years ago, it was like really hard to figure out how to get to Chiang Mai, where to stay, like what to do there, how to meet people. So the people that went, had a little bit of independence. Uh, they, you know, had that kind of entrepreneurial spirit where they're just like, let me go check out this place. It's not that famous yet, but I've, I've heard from one person that it was good. Mm-hmm. Or it seems like it might be good. I think one complaint that people have about kind of like the newbies coming to Chiang Mai is that because it's so easy for them, sometimes they just show up completely unprepared and it like feeling like 
everything should just be handed to them. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, I'm here. I made it. Like, you yeah. know, where's my, where's my remote job? Where's my yeah. business? Yeah. I've heard about, I heard the same thing from a couple of other people. So, you know, that's what happens when something gets very popular. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, I think what you said earlier about, you know, like having that chance of just going somewhere like Chiang Mai, exploring it for a few months, and then worse comes to worse, you go home and be like, okay, that was a good experience, good vacation. Uh, someone just messaged me earlier today asking a bunch of questions about like, you know, he's like, oh, I really wanted to move and be location dependent. And he's asking me all these questions that like do not apply for at least six months of him being there. And I just wrote back saying like, don't look like, don't overthink it. You know, like one of the questions he asked was like, he's like, um, you know, I've heard that after three or four years, people get a little bit burnt out and they miss home and oh, wow. on. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you asking me this now when you haven't even fucking went for a month? I'm not even thinking what I'm going to do in the next, you know, year. I have no clue. Yeah, but again, um, I remember that when I was living, you know, back in Latvia, uh, you have this, you know, mentality. You always think long term because uh, change is happening so um, not frequently in your life that you know that things will stay constant for a while. And that's why one of the first things that kind of started changing in my, you know, thinking when I started um, working remotely and I moved to Chiang Mai is how uncertain things are and you start to tolerate a lot of uncertainty in your life. Like for me now, it's okay not to know what's going to happen in the next half a year. It's okay. Like I'm going to figure it out along the way. But when you're, you know, you have your life figured out. Since you go to school, you know, like I'm going to go to school, then I'm going to apply to college and I'm going to have a job, then like marry kids and all that, all that stuff. Then it's, uh, yeah, you just don't understand how it's not possible not to have a plan for the next six months of your life. I absolutely agree. And I think that's actually one of the best lessons that we learn being location dependent and traveling is just living in the moment and not stressing or worrying so much about the future and not to a, not to a part where we just don't care about the future but exactly what you said is that we are confident that we can figure it out yeah you can always ask your friends your you know uh remote working friends or uh ask someone in the group uh whatever happens you can make it yeah i, I like that i think you know even just like where are we going where are you going to be in 2 months from now like, I personally have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. And you feel okay about it. You're not stressing. You're actually happy. Like, there's a, a point where I think it all shifts to, uh, not, from not being, from being stressed about not knowing where you're going to be to being actually excited about, oh, I'm curious to know what's going to happen in those two months. So I'm going to end up in like, you know, X country. So what, what are your, your plans? <laughs> Uh, so far, my plan is to be in Barcelona for the next five months. And uh, afterwards, um, I'm considering going to Latin America. Really? It's still in the air, but I really want to do it. So why South America? Um, because I haven't been there. <laughs> I guess that's reason enough. Right? <laughs> yeah. I was always curious about Chile, and that's the place where I want to go. Okay, I like that. So what are you actually working on nowadays? So at the moment, I'm uh, working for a German startup that helps people get into tech. Um, and not only just to learn, you know, web development or UX, but to actually get a job in the industry. And uh, quite quite an amount of our uh, students are willing to get a remote job. So you can, you can also observe the trend kind of kicking in there. And uh, another thing that I'm doing is working with the Tree Tribe. Uh, tree tribe guys and helping them with marketing and their customer service so shout out to joe dylan sharif and all those tree tribe guys yeah <laughs> you guys want some bamboo sunglasses or now they have a bunch of they have, they have a ton of stuff now right oh yeah we have water bottles so we have different t-shirts and tank tops so go and check it out it's really good very cool is, is it treetribe.com yeah treetribe.com okay i like it so Back to Barcelona. Now that you're here, you've been here for a month now? Yeah. Uh, exactly the same as me. We actually arrived at the same time. Yeah. That's cool. What are your kind of favorite things about, about being here so far? Uh, it's how easy it is to just go anywhere you want to. 
like before Barcelona, I was in the States. And as you know, like you need to have a car there. And, uh, you know, I like walking because I grew up in Europe and everything is close. And uh, I like observing architecture. So those are the two main things that I enjoy the most here. Um, I, I actually really, really like just being able to get around here as well. So we are living maybe like a 25-minute walk away from the center, but it's so nice to walk here. There are actual sidewalks. Not only are there sidewalks, there are sidewalks in the middle of this road. And, and the best way to describe it would be, imagine there's like, you know, the buildings and the shops. You have like a like an actual sidewalk people can walk on. Then you have a one-way road. Then you have a little park in the middle. It's like a tree-lined street that has like a bike path and a like a walking path. Then you have a road that's like the other direction. And on the other side of the block, you have shops and uh, like the other side of the walk and then shops. So you have the choice to walk on three different nice, fully paved, no pothole, like nice sidewalks. And it's a, and the whole city is like a grid system. So it's easy to get around. The metro is so easy. You have bus and then... Even though they don't have Uber here, they have, it's kind of like New York where they have taxis everywhere and it's like reasonably priced. So you're not going to use it all the time. But if you're drunk coming home from bar and there's two of you, you're like, let's just pay five euro each for, for a cab. Yeah, exactly. And another thing for me, uh, like how I imagine, you know, my ideal location is, uh, to be in a city that has some access to either sea or the ocean and also mountains. And, um, you know, Barcelona is kind of checking all the boxes here. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy because I actually went camping. No, sorry, uh, not camping. I went hiking last weekend and it was beautiful. It was an hour and a half away from Barcelona. Actually, tomorrow I'm going camp, uh, hiking again up to a place where I think it's like a monast- uh, like a church or a monastery in the mountains. And what's nice about it is I can take the train pretty much all the way there and then from there i can take um i think like a like a ski lift kind of gondola mm-hmm. to the top and then it's a five-hour hike but things like that are not really possible in most other other places even unfortunately even in like chiang mai the you know it's not like you're not really gonna take public transport you know if i want to go hiking i'd probably have to ride a scooter to the base of the yeah. mountain to be able to go up um versus here i can like you know or i have to get a car or something but here like it's nice being able to take a train to a hiking spot. Yeah, I agree with that. Like we went to see bunkers um, last weekend, and it was also very easy. Just take a bus; it drives you there, and you walk. Yeah, and I think the other thing I like about Barcelona is that it's a big city with no traffic. Yeah, I don't know how that is possible. Probably because it's so easy to like walk everywhere, and people just choose to do that. Yeah, or take the bus, or the subway. Yeah. But it's weird. Like I keep expecting there to be more more cars and traffic, and it's like it's it's so weird. And then you know, I've, and I think it's also because the roads are so wide. It's just like so easy to to get around that it's like maybe during rush hour, like it almost looks like a normal time. Yeah, I haven't else. seen like a ru- like a legit rush hour here. <laughs> so I actually drove last weekend, and it was my first time driving in a year and the second time driving in the last maybe three years and it was really random i just happened to be at this car show where they had these ferraris and for whatever reason i just asked them i was like hey like can i just pay to to drive one of these because i couldn't really read it because it was in spanish and they're like yeah you know it's 50 euros and i was like really like i can i, <laughs> I can drive this ferrari for 50 euros and they're like, yeah, do you, want, do you want to do it? I was like, yes, I want to do it. <laughs> so I got into a red convertible Ferrari F430 and I got to drive like 15 kilometers around the city, which is pretty much like half the city. Oh my God. And I got to like drive by the museums and like, I like, it was just beautiful. It was such a nice, easy drive, especially for someone who hasn't driven in years mm-hmm. <laughs> in this like 500 horsepower sports car. Yeah, and you would think like around five o'clock is usually the traffic hour, like yeah. everywhere. I think to be fair, I think it was like the afternoon, maybe like mm-hmm. 12, like one o'clock or something after lunch. Mm-hmm. But it was a weekend too. Yeah, and it was a Sunday at one p.m. and in LA it would be fucking a mess. Oh yeah. 
So yeah, definitely super easy to get around. Um, very walkable city and enough. There's a lot to do because it's a big city. So I would say, you know, like there's always something on meetup.com, uh, which they use here more than they use Facebook. But you know, there's some Facebook events. I'm sure there's couch surfing events. There's basically something happening almost every night here, just like it would be in New York or, or I guess LA. Yeah, so it's very easy to kind of choose um, or, you know, go along with your interests that you already have. Like I said, boxing classes, yoga classes, like anything that you want to do here, it's very possible. Yeah, so I would say it has a lot of the benefits of being in a big city like New York or LA, but with less downsides. And even though the rent here is pretty expensive, it's still much cheaper than the back home. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely the case. Yeah. Um, and I've been living in New York for three months this year, and uh, God, I miss nature. I miss nature so much there, and uh, it's so accessible here. Like whatever you want, you can go, you know, hike on the mountain, or you can go to the beach, and everything is green and easily walkable, which is also, um, you know, a trait of New York. But yeah, you just don't feel so stressed. You feel very relaxed. I definitely agree that it's a lot more relaxed here. And I actually think that's one of the downsides of Barcelona, <laughs> where it has like that siesta mentality, where it's not, for most things, it's not, I, I don't know, I guess I never really actually had to get anything done. So it wasn't a big deal. But a lot of things are just closed most of the day. Yeah. Like I remember the other day I wanted to have dinner. I think it was around 7 p.m. And I'm like walking around trying to find this restaurant and you know we go to it and it's closed we're like oh i guess maybe it's sunday so it's closed and then we go somewhere else and it's closed and then i'm like looking around i'm like why are all these restaurants closed and i realize it's because they close after lunch and they don't open up again until like 8 p.m yeah this is something that i mean is very very unusual for me because i like to have dinner at like six or seven o'clock in the evening and here people usually dine at like 10 p.m I think even later. Yeah, like, it's insane. Yeah, it's like you, you're walking, you know, at 11 o'clock in the night and their restaurants are full of people. They're talking and they're drinking and all this stuff. And uh, I haven't seen that anywhere, I think. Maybe only in New York, but definitely not in Chiang Mai, only on Fridays. You know? Yeah, and even in New York, it's not as bad, I think. Because <laughs> yeah. in New York, the restaurants will be open at 6 it just will be slightly empty because people are still working. Oh, yeah. A lot of places would just be closed like after 8 or something. Yeah. But here they're just open until I don't even know when. Like 11? No. No. Like 1 o'clock, I think, in the morning. Yeah. Like it's it's normal to get a, a, a dinner reservation for midnight. Yeah. And then eat until 1. one <laughs> yeah. It is. So one of the best things about Barcelona that I actually personally haven't really done just because I like waking up early is the nightlife. And I think that's why people like it so much. Mm -hmm. But the problem with the nightlife here is it starts at 2 a.m. Yes, exactly. Like, I want to check it out. I'm just curious. Like, I've heard very good things from you know, a lot of people that nightlife in Barcelona is something. And uh, I want to try it out, but I usually go to sleep before 2 a.m. So when I'm, you know... It's not that easy for me to kind of. I need to make a commitment to actually go and like stay till four a.m. in the morning, or six a.m. Yeah, or six a.m. Yeah, I think people just don't sleep the other day or sleep during the day. <laughs> so uh, I'm we're living in like a shared flat where there's you know four other roommates, and I swear to God nobody wakes up until three p.m. Are you kidding me? Every day, and so they usually go out usually you know after midnight. To go eat dinner and then they go drink and then they come back at like, you know, four, five, six in the morning. Oh, wow. And I think that's just like a normal life here. And I don't think that's very good for productivity or for entrepreneurs. Yeah. I, uh, thankfully, like I'm living with, you know, a flatmate that, uh, works at a company. So he needs to be at work at like nine or eight o'clock in the morning. So I, yeah, I would say that I'm around like a productive person in a way. Uh, but I agree, like, when you're in this kind of environment, it does affect you. Like, and it gets really easy, especially if you aren't currently working and you have time to be able to go out and, and just, yeah. you know, drink late. I think it's really hard to get back in that mode of of having a normal 9-to-5 work day and, like, really grinding and hustling and, mm -hmm. and just excelling. 
yeah, that's why it helps to have people around you that actually, you know, do the same. Because otherwise, it's it's so easy to kind of slip to whatever uh, everyone is doing in the city. And that's actually one of the downsides of Chiang Mai is that because it's so cheap to live there, a lot of people just get comfortable. Like, yeah, you know, once you start making a thousand dollars a month, especially in passive income, you're just like, I'm done. I, w- I was just talking about this yesterday. That this is one of the things that kind of pushed me to move out of Chiang Mai. Uh, it's a good place to go back to for like a couple of months, but when you stay there for uh, for a while, you really get comfortable. Of as you said, you know, you earn like a thousand dollars a month, and you live there, you know, as a king. You have a good apartment, you eat out every time because it's so cheap, and uh, then uh, then people just lack ambition. They, you know, they have everything they want, and they don't need to want more. The weather's warm, like you know, there's always something to just kind of like chill and go do and like yeah you're right and i think that's why people in places like london or new york or san francisco they are so driven to make so much money is because they have this three thousand dollar a month budget like a bill that they have to pay you know for rent and food and utilities sometimes it's like five thousand a month just to live yeah so they're like well if i'm not crushing it like i'm screwed yeah and it also Kind of simulates you to be like in this kind of vibe of like I need to constantly be doing something. I need to be productive, and that's what I felt when I was in New York. Like everyone is doing something. They have their whole day plan. Like I don't know, four meetings after work or something. Yeah, like socializing is a job for them. You can actually feel it because they know how much how valuable connections are, and uh, so I think that's another you know reason why it's good to travel to kind of get different ideas uh from different places and put them together and you know create something that works for you i like it so for you personally would you move back to new york um no (laughs) i would definitely visit it it's a one of a kind place and uh for connections it's you know definitely the top place on the planet but living there um yeah i would say it's too stressful for me it's like uh i i was lacking that genuine connection uh because people are so um you know kind of goal-oriented and uh, working and they you just feel that at some point they're meeting people just for the sake of having a connection and not for the sake of getting to know that person. Well, LA is not that much different. Yeah. So, uh, good place to visit. Not that good place to live, at least for me. The funny thing about New York is they say it is the loneliest city for the and also the most populated <laughs> Yes, exactly. Like I've heard it from uh, New Yorkers that live there for years. They say that it's so lonely to uh, to to live in New York, and uh, you get very disappointed when you start to feel that all the relationships people have there are transactional. And that's how they were described by New Yorkers. They they know they're not like delusional about it. They know exactly what's happening. But I think even a normal relationship, people are working so much. That you just don't even have time to see each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the issue. Like everyone in New York has like a full time job, then some kind of side project, and then you know like organizations or clubs that they're running. And you're like, I mean, when do you relax? When do you just take time for yourself and think about what's going on in your life? So, can you see yourself basing yourself in Barcelona in the future? Um, that's a good question. Again, too far ahead for me to know for sure, but it's definitely one of the places where I feel um, where I feel good. Um, I don't know if I would stay here for like a number of years, but yeah, it's a place that I want to go back to. I actually think Barcelona is one of those places where people either just visit and then leave, you know, and then kind of use it as like a vacation spot, mm. or they just come here and they're like, "This is good. I'm staying here." And it's mostly Europeans that, I, that I've met who have been long-term expats now for mm-hmm. eight years or longer. And they all say it's because it's cold <laughs> in whatever country they're from. Yeah. And they get here, you know, and it's like, it gets cold in the winter, but it doesn't snow. Uh, so it's very like a, like a manageable year-round temperature. Mm-hmm. And just for that, I think they're just like, I'm staying here. Uh, yeah. Lower cost of living than in a lot of other European cities. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think people just kind of get comfortable here. 
yeah, it's very easy to get comfortable here. And right now I have a feeling that, you know, by the end of the five-month period that I'm going to stay here, I either will like it a lot and will want to come back, or I will get, you know, too much of it and I want to move on to something else. Yeah, I, I'm kind of half-half with Barcelona so far. Um, I'm actually writing my travel guide to Barcelona. So I'm about three quarters of the way through, so look for that. It'll probably be out by the time this episode actually publishes, so look on johnnyfd.com. But in there, I basically write all the pros and cons of of living in Barcelona, and we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see if I if I if I make this kind of more of a a place I will return to more often. But I kind of measure every place I go to now with a awesome to annoying scale, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of places that are very awesome. But also very annoying. Like, for example, Bali. <laughs> there's so much cool stuff there. You know, there's like some, some pretty awesome food, awesome beaches, awesome nature. But the annoyance is there. Like, every, pretty much everything else about it yeah. is so high that it just does not, it's not worth it. Like, the, it's more annoying than it's awesome. Chiang Mai, for instance, is good, but it's not that awesome. I think, you know, there's no like beach. There's no like, there's nothing that about it that's like, oh my god, this is like mind blowing. It's just very good, but the annoying scale was really low. Where there's like so few things that are actually annoying about mm-hmm. living in Chiang Mai. You know, it's like really easy to get around. Like everything, everyone's nice. Everything's easy. Everything's cheap. Barcelona, I think it's kind of like in the middle so far, where it's kind of awesome. Where you have, for example, you have the beach, but as some people point out. It's not uh, an ocean. It's a sea. So, And I didn't really know what the difference was. But it turns out an actual ocean with waves is much cooler than being by a sea. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if you try to get something from the service industry in Barcelona, I mean, just generally in Spain, it's very annoying to yeah. deal with service people. It's like, oh, God, I just had to um, get myself a SIM card. And like I was on the edge of just... Raging at a person, I know that it's not the way to go, but it was it was very annoying. So when I went to Vodafone after talking to them, they're like, "Oh, like we we are out of SIM cards." And I'm like, "How are you out of SIM cards? You're like it's a giant store, and that's what you guys sell." And luckily, there was no line there, but like at the very one place next door, there was like a 30 minute wait just to get my SIM card. And I was thinking, I would have been so pissed off if I waited 30 minutes. For them to tell me that they're out of SIM cards. Yeah. God. So definitely some annoyances uh, with Barcelona as well. I'll, I'll be sure to write kind of the pros and cons in the blog post. Uh, but I think overall, you know, it's nice to be here, right? Good weather, lots to do. Yeah, agreed. So what? So what is the place that's on top of your awesomeness list? That is the whole point of not just this podcast, but this journey and this whole life is to find the place that is awesome. Like that's like finding like the perfect, most beautiful, most awesome, you know, person that has like zero like annoying things that they do and no drama, no like mm-hmm. like no high maintenance. I I I don't know if it exists. <laughs> and I don't even know if like it's, you know, something that we should even really like strive for. We should just be happy with finding something that like Chiang Mai, which to me is like, it's pretty awesome. You know, like, you know, the mounds are awesome. The food's awesome. People are awesome. And it's very, it's not annoying. So, so far I would say that's the best. I would say also up there would be Portugal, mm-hmm. which I'm honestly surprised every time I meet people who live long term in Barcelona and I ask them why and all the reasons they, they give me, I think to myself, why don't you just live in Portugal? It's cheaper. It's nicer. It's by an actual ocean. Um, and it's overall has less of the annoyances and more of the awesomeness. Huh. That's a good tip for me, you know, to consider. <laughs> so maybe you check it out and uh, let me know how it is. I will. So if people want to reach out to you, uh, are you on social media or anything? Yeah, I think the best way to you know get in contact with me is on Facebook. That's what I check regularly. And uh, it's Victoria Juskevica, not Justice. <laughs> you definitely need to get at Victoria Justice for all your social media. How cool would that be? I know, but there is an actual Victoria Justice. 
Who's she? She's an actress. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is she cool? Yeah. You can you know check her out. We'll definitely we'll Google her. We'll use her as the uh, the episode show cover. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm kidding. I will use you. <laughs> Alright, but I'm sure you guys can't actually uh, spell Victoria's name, so we'll have it in the show notes, a link to it in travellikeabosspodcast.com, and search for episode 162. Victoria, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Ciao. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Big thank you to NYC Allen, as well as everyone else who's left these amazing five-star reviews of the podcast on iTunes. NYC Allen says, five stars. Johnny, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I want to thank you and your guests for sharing their online success stories and inspiring us to become digital entrepreneurs. Props to you for offering a ton of knowledge and being so resourceful to us listeners. Keep doing what you're doing, and I hope to be on your podcast someday. NYC Allen, I hope to meet you, and hopefully you bring a slice of that amazing New York pizza out to uh, Chiang Mai or Spain or wherever I am. And if you guys need to book a flight, I want to give a quick thank you to our sponsor, tripstreak.com. You can check them out the next time you guys need to book a flight, either from New York to Spain or to Chiang Mai or wherever you want to go in the world. They have all these awesome preferences where you can choose lay flat only seats or red eye only flights, whatever you like. Check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. I'll see you guys all next week. Hasta luego and. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.